What is going on, gentlemen? I hope you guys are doing fantastic. I hope you guys are having yourselves a wonderful day. Today, we're going to talk about diet for great sex and what that truly entails. But I will not be the one enlightening you guys on this. I was honored in having Christine Delosier on today. Christine specializes in sexual health and works with men, women, and patients of all gender orientation. With Diet for Great Sex, which is the book that she wrote, she wrote the book on how to eat for great sex. It's for everyone who wants to have the best sex possible through the most natural means possible for as long as possible. It also covers common topics of concern such as erectile dysfunction, low testosterone, and reduced libido, just to name a few. She is an expert in these fields. Um, She also is an acupuncturist. Um, also Chinese medicine, and she is also a published author. And we are just, I mean, I'm honored. I I had a great time talking to her. We talked about more than just obviously than just how diet plays into sex. You know, we also talked about other things relating to relationships and what good sex, what good sex truly looks like and what it should look like. And unfortunately where it might be lacking in this modern society. However, you know, focusing more on the sexual side of things. We did talk from a physiological standpoint about how, you know, you got to get that blood flow in, right? So a lot of you guys out there, you know, obviously we're doing the male enhancement thing as well. You know, obviously you want to make sure you get as much good blood flow as possible. So without any further ado, I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I sure did. And, you know, there's a whole lot that I was able to take out of this episode. So I really hope you guys enjoy and without any further ado, guys, let's jump on in and talk to Christine Delosier on how to eat and the diet for great sex. Before we get started, one more thing. If you want to get any PE gear, be sure to check out TotalManshop.com. That is TotalManshop.com. And use the promo code MHS2020. Promo code is MHS2020 and get 12% off. Be sure to check out their wide variety of all kinds of good quality PE equipment. All right. And that's promo code MHS2020 for 12% off. And the website, once again, is TotalManShop.com. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode here at the Mask and Health Solutions Podcast. Again, I thank you for tuning in. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about a diet for great sex. What? I know a lot of you guys asking questions about what's good as far as nutrition goes. And I am joined with the author who wrote the book, Christine Delosier. Christine, how are you today? I'm doing fine, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. I know I'm eager. I know the audience is eager. We all have a million questions, but first and foremost, um, like we're a little, talking a little bit off air that, you know, you felt inspired to write the book just because, you know, you didn't see anything out there, but what sparked your curiosity into the subject? So I, I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist in private practice. I specialize in sexual health, but when I first, you know, went into private practice, I was treating a lot of back pain, neck pain, you know, typical things that acupuncturists treat. And one day, one of my patients that I was uh, treating for low back pain asked me if I could do anything to help him have stronger erections. And I said, sure, you know, it's something I've been trained in, but I haven't really treated anybody for that. So we tried it. And, you know, there are certain points that we use that are in, you know, rather intimate locations. Mm -hmm. So one of the points that I wanted to use with him was um, in the perineum, which is between the testicles and the anus. And it's a major crossing point of nerves associated with sexual function. And and yeah, that's the response I was, I was (laughs) expecting to get from him, (laughs) but um, I was surprised. He was just like, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. No problem. I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, 
And then when I saw him the next time, he was so happy. He, he was so excited. He said it had made such a big difference. It was something he had been struggling with, um, with his partner. And so um, then I treated a few patients after that who also got really good results. And it was, I thought, wow, you know, this is something that's really difficult to treat period, whether you're talking yeah. about Western medicine, Eastern medicine, um, pharmaceuticals. Um, so I thought, you know, this is something that has the, the ability to bring, um, you know, provide more joy and, and um, you know, enjoyment in people's lives. So it, I decided to specialize in it. And as far as the actual book goes, you know, I trained, as I mentioned off here, uh, I trained to be a research scientist as an undergraduate. I didn't end up going into a career in it, but I kind of brought that into my book, but mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be like a sciencey read, you know, yeah. I wanted it to be, that was something that was fun, you know? So that's what I tried to do um, is that I did, I mean, I poured over, you know, I spent countless hours pouring over, you know, clinical and epidemiological research, just finding out what, you know, what the science had to say about this relationship between what we eat and sexual function. But the way I wrote the book was just in, in a way that's for my patients, you know, the, the way that people who, you know, who I know and who are not sciencey could read and, and get, you know, really enjoy it. That's awesome. Cause I kind of feel that with a lot of these books, people will feel intimidated. Like sometimes I'll actually look into like the journal of urology just to kind of pick up things about like penile health. And, you know, it's like, Oh, I didn't know this was possible. Or I don't know that, you know, um, penis pumps were so effective, you know, and they actually used it with dudes who had gotten their prostates removed and found that, Hey, you know, we can use this as a way to bring some of that life back into your dick yeah right <laughs> you know and, and it is super interesting however you're right it is super mundane when you read it it's just like oh here we go you know just pages after pages data yeah. after data it's like the abstract says <laughs> yes and it's like they can't say anything simply you know they can't no. say like you know dick or they can't, they can't say anything that somebody would understand they have to say a word that's like four or five times as long as it needs to be you know <laughs> it's like and then you're like wait 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 what are, what are they talking about here? <laughs> um so yeah <laughs> so yeah i kind of sifted out through all that jargony you know stuff and and put it into relatable terms you know love that because it makes it a lot easier for us to actually read the book pick it up and get the most out of it in simple english because i once heard that when you want to become a lawyer, you got to learn lawyer knees, right? It's a language within itself. And when you do that, it's almost like you're setting up a barrier. So the layman or just regular people can't pick it up. And I almost feel like maybe it's not done intentionally. It's just, it's the way that they go about it. But the fact that you broke it down is terrific. And one of the things that I want to talk about was in your book, you talk about the trifecta of great sex. Can you explain that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, let's think about great sex for a moment. Okay. When you think about great sex, you know, we're thinking about who we're with. We're thinking about the mood, the situation, the emotion, the, you know, all of those elements, but, um, you know, physiologically great sex is when our nerves are firing strong signals of pleasure mm -hmm. to and from our genitals. It's when our blood vessels are delivering abundant blood flow, and it's when our sex hormones are balanced and, and optimal, you know, when we have optimal ratios of testosterone and estrogen, and, um, and those pieces are in place. That's when we have great sex. And diet very much affects all three of those pieces. That's the trifecta of great sex, you know? So if you, you know, as an example, you know, one of my favorite things to eat for great sex, I mean, one of my, the, one of the best sex foods is leafy greens. And, you know, you can kind of see how important they are if you look at other primates, because mm -hmm. human beings, we've kind of lost our way. We don't have an instinct for what we should eat. You know, other animals yeah. do, right? <laughs> I... they, they, go out, <laughs> they go out and they go right to the exact plant or animal that will mm -hmm. best nourish their health. You know, you don't see like obese wild animals. You don't see um, you know, they just look, you know, 
they, they, they eat what's best for their biological design of their bodies. And therefore they, they stay, you know, in a, they stay healthier. Whereas humans, we ask each other what we should eat, you know, and we don't seem to know what the fuck we're talking about. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, one person saying one thing, one person saying the opposite. And, you know, but if you look at other primates, like chimpanzees are the, the closest genetically to humans, uh, but other all primates spend a whole lot of time eating leaves. You know, they spend a good portion of their day um, picking and eating leaves. And, you know, in doing so, they get many times the amount of things like calcium and magnesium, potassium, um, things like that, that are really good for sex. They're really good for helping to balance hormones. They're good for, you know, nerve conduction, all of those things. But, um, you know, so leafy greens like spinach, romaine, kale, you know, cilantro, all those things they bring something to the table for that whole trifecta of, of great sex, even in, in terms of hormonal balance. So for example, leafy greens have phytonutrients that reduce cortisol levels. And most of us with our productivity and all that we're expected to do in a day, we, we have a lot of stress. Yep. And what that does is it produces cortisol, the stress hormone. And what that does is then it sabotages testosterone. When our cortisol is high, testosterone takes a dip and that makes our libido, you know, it makes our libido suffer. Yep, exactly. So um, by reducing cortisol, we give ourselves a bump in testosterone. Um, the other things that, that leafy greens bring to the table is um, tons of antioxidants um, and things like the, there's other substances in them too that just, you know, um, help balance sex hormones and that sort of thing. But um, the antioxidants, you know, one of the biggest complaints I have, for example, among my female patients is difficulty achieving orgasm. And one of the things that, you know, antioxidants have been found to do is to improve, um, improve those pleasure signals. And that's not just for, for females. It's also important for males too, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, the stronger, faster, those nerve impulses are the better sex feels, the better it feels when our partner touches us, the better it feels with intercourse. And so antioxidants were shown in research to do a few things. One of them is speeding up those signals and strengthening those signals. And in, and it doesn't just, um, and it actually does translate to better sex too. So some of the studies focused on actually measuring how fast those nerves fire and other studies focused on the sexual effects of antioxidants and people basically have an easier time orgasming they have better erections they have better lubrication better sexual satisfaction when they supplement with antioxidants and so leafy greens bring that to the table and it just so happens they're probably the best food for the cardiovascular system Bam. so yeah, there we go. Bam. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they, they soften the delicate inner lining of blood vessels to make them more elastic. They promote vascular health. They, um, they have naturally occurring nitrates, which, you know, those are, you know, those are the, like your pre-workouts yeah. things that, that people use to immediately dilate blood vessels and, and yes. help your, your cells utilize oxygen more effectively. So you get better stamina, you get better performance in bed, but you also get better blood flow. So for example, I mean, this, it's like, we're not talking about a small bump either. I mean, okay. So nitric oxide is, uh, is what dilates your blood vessels. Okay. Brings yeah. more blood flow. And what they did is in this one study, they gave participants one serving of spinach. Then they measured their salivary nitric oxide. And it was eight times that of baseline two hours after eating one serving of spinach. So like I mean, one cup. At once, I don't know what their their definition of a serving was, but I'm thinking it's either one or two cups of yeah. spinach, of raw spinach. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's huge. Right. <laughs> and that's just with one meal. So, um, yeah, so they have so much to bring to the table. It's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Well, it is pretty mind blowing. Cause I mean, everybody talks about nitric oxide and, and I feel like we see things in supplements. Cause it's funny. You mentioned pre-workouts and it's true. It's like nitric oxide booster 5,000 and everybody's looking at the synthetic versions of these foods or the synthetic versions of these vitamins, minerals, and all this stuff that they kind of make in a lab. But I always feel that if you get it from nature, it's always going to have a better effect on the body. Because I kind of feel like everything that they, they, they're making in a lab, 
it's always missing some key component or the body can't absorb it as good as it should. And I kind of feel like when you get it from food, you see a notable difference. And it's, it's to me, it's pretty mind blowing when you tell me the stats where it's like, okay, so I don't really need to consume a nitric oxide pill. I could just go get myself a couple cups of spinach and basically get the same effect. Everything I've read on the, the supplements for um, nitric oxide have, have shown safety concerns as well. So mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, exactly like what you were saying, usually the closer you stick to nature, it seems to be, you know, better. Even when you think about things like minerals, I don't like to tell patients to supplement with minerals, generally speaking, because they compete in the body, you know, they, so if you take, uh, for example, a magnesium supplement, you could sabotage your calcium and you can basically cause yourself to be, um, calcium deficient because you're blocking all those receptors and the same goes for like zinc and you know calcium competes with iron you know magnesium competes with zinc they they all seem to compete with one another for these receptor sites in the body so the best thing to do is get your minerals from food and just having a really um you know diverse plant and you know basically sources of, of minerals, um, you know, from whole food sources rather than things that come in a box. That's interesting. I, cause I did not know that until you told me right now. I mean, I always thought, cause I've been taking magnesium before I go to sleep <laughs> lately. Mm, yeah. Well, let's say, what is something that you could replace that with something that's rich in magnesium? So I actually have a patient um, that I've been treating. This is very, it's kind of unorthodox what I, what I did with him because his foot got stepped on by a horse. Ooh. And so he's been having, so his foot is healed, but he's been having some residual pain and stuff. And one of the things that we determined, you know, based on his kind of individual cases that maybe he did need some extra magnesium. Mm-hmm. So um, he's eating like two squares of dark chocolate um, he's adding that to his diet, like very, very dark chocolate. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're kind of big squares, but, um, you know, that's a very good source of magnesium. Um, almonds are a really good source of magnesium, um, baked potato with the skin on or yams with the skin on and also leafy greens. Again, so, so many of these things that we're going to talk about, it's like you say, what's a good source of it. And the answer is going to be leafy greens is one of them. Hey, that, I mean, that's, this, the more simple, the better. You know, I, I love the when I read about the kiss principle, right, where it's like, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> I yeah. love that. And I try to <laughs> yeah. live by that. And I find that with foods, a lot of the times it goes back to that. It's almost like we got to quit because I find that with like minerals and, or not minerals with supplements, it almost like you got to supplement one thing and then you got to supplement with something else to counter what that supplement's doing and then to counter what that uh, medication that they're giving this guy is. So one dude's diabetic and he's taking 40 different medications. I'm like, how does that work? (laughs) I know. And I see that with a lot of the antidepressant stuff too. It's like, it just does such a number on sex, you know, sex and libido. And it's like, well, what do you choose my, your mental health or sex, you know, your sex life, you know? Um, I mean, one of the things you could, it's hard to get off of antidepressants. And so um, it's like, once you do go on them, it's like, you get that rebound effect, but it does affect sex so much. It not only does, you know, but then of course, you know, depression affects sex, anxiety affects sex, and that can sabotage it too. So I'm not saying that some people shouldn't be on antidepressants, but if you have like a, if you're not sure if you're going to go on, on meds and maybe you're looking, trying to find a natural approach first even for that food can have a big effect. So vitamin C, for example, has been shown in research to rapidly improve mood and people who are lower in vitamin C tend to have more anxiety, depression, things like that. There have been a lot of foods uh, like that, you know, a lot of nutrients like that, like potassium, like omega-3s, because omega-3s, the reason it's important for both sex and for mood is because it it's involved in the dopamine pathway. So our brain is made up of um, a lot of fat. And yeah. I think it's about 20% of that fat is omega-3s, which we can't get, well, our bodies can't make it. We have to get yeah. it from the diet. So you either have to be eating fish or if you're plant-based, you have to be eating, um, you know, walnuts, chia seeds, flax seeds, things like that. Um, and most, that's not a part of most people's diet. I wouldn't say. No. 
Interesting. And um, how does diet affect women's sexual function in particular? Because you were talking about that earlier about how, you know, it really gets the blood flowing down there. But how does it really affect women? So, I mean, the thing about it is, okay, a diet for great sex for men and women is the same. But the complaints that people come in are different. You know, the, the specific ratios of hormones are different. So males have better sex with higher levels of testosterone, but estrogen is also important, you know, because we have, uh, you know, guys have enzymes that convert um, some testosterone to estrogen and vice versa, you know, so females do better with higher levels of estrogen, lower le- levels of testosterone, but that's also important too, because, you know, even to the point that some women will have their doctors um, supplement testosterone to boost their libido, for example. So, um, and the the complaints are different. The complaints I see from women are lubrication issues, low libido, um, difficulty achieving orgasm. Those are the top three. The the issues I see men for are wanting to have stronger erections or wanting to last longer. Those are the typical, you know, the typical things. Um, So, you know, the way that diet affects um, women is, is, again, blood flow is a huge one. Um, blood flow, when you, when you have compromised blood flow for a guy, you're going to notice, you know, weaker erections. When you have compromised blood flow for a woman, you're going to notice reduced clitoral sensitivity. So her clit won't be as sensitive. She won't have as, as good of lubrication because lubrication actually comes from blood flow. First, the blood flows. And then from that, the, um, the body transforms that into, uh, lubrication. So, um, and then, you know, libido, of course, um, is, is something that when, when our sex hormones aren't balanced, that's going to be a big effect. And it seems to be more of an issue for my female patients, you know, than my male patients. If we have, if we took a hundred relationships, we would see more of those relationships where, um, the male was complaining of, you know, that his partner didn't, doesn't want to have sex as much, but I see, I see the opposite too, but it's not as, it's not as often. Interesting. Cause yeah, I mean, most guys, we all see it from the performance kind of side of things. So obviously it's like bigger, harder, last longer, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's kind of the way that we go about things, but at the same time, I I feel that for women, I mean, when we make love, obviously, it's like we both got to be on the same page. If not, it's like, well, I'm kind of just doing this just because, uh, you know, and I could imagine for many women, it might feel like a chore just because they don't have the proper ingredients flowing through their bodies. And for guys, too, I think because I, I do talk to a lot of dudes who have, I guess, what I would call performance anxiety. And a lot of it comes like it always comes back to diet. And I kind of believe in the holistic approach to everything. And I kind of feel that stress is usually high in these guys. The diet sucks and there's no physical activity involved. And I'm yeah. like, hey, man, you got to start from square one. You know, get your mind right. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why, like, when we talk about things like, you know, dealing with anxiety and stress nutritionally, that can give you a boost in the bedroom because so many of us do deal with anxiety in the bedroom, whether it's performance anxiety or, you know, women have performance anxiety too. We worry that our partner isn't, isn't like having fun waiting for us to have an orgasm because it takes us longer typically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's our kind of anxiety associated with, with things. And then we worry that our partner is taking it personally, you know, as well. So a lot of, a lot of those psychological things come in, come into play, but um, again, treating your body right can even help with that. You know, again, vitamin C, magnesium, potassium, um, not in, again, not in supplement, but just getting it from food. Uh, what were some of the other things that, that were important for, for anxiety? I wrote a whole, I wrote an article about this, but anyways, if I remember anymore, I'll, I'll mention them. For sure. But the thing is too, that I find, how important would you say it is to cut out the junk food? Like just in cutting, just from omission, because I'm, I'm big on before people add stuff into their diet, I'm a big like believer that you should start omitting stuff first. And what would be the five biggest things that you think everybody should cut out from their diet immediately? 
So when you talk about junk food, okay, junk food is junk food because, okay, number one, it's got a long shelf life, you know, so there you've got the preservatives and the chemicals, yeah. okay. Number two, it tastes better than anything else. And why does it taste better than anything else? It tastes better because it's got lots of sugar, lots of fat, lots of salt. And those are pretty much on the three, you know, bad sex diet, you know, group pretty much because, okay, let's take salt, for example. Okay. Most of us, uh, I was looking at this research. It's actually appalling. According to the research, most Americans get more salt than is considered fit for human consumption. Meaning- yeah, that, that's how damaging all the salt that we're taking in is, is on our bodies. If you look at humans, um, you know, of the past, uh, you know, hundreds of years, past humans took in about 10 times as much potassium in our diets as sodium. Modern humans take in about 10 times as much sodium as potassium in their diets. And these two minerals are very related to one another. Um, all of that excess sodium wreaks havoc on our blood vessels and it sabotages our potassium because in order to deal with all that excess sodium, our kidneys have to flush potassium. So then you add on top of that, that most, uh, mo- besides the fact that most of us are getting more salt than is fit for human consumption, 97%, according to one study of Americans, don't get enough potassium in your diet. So you're not getting enough to begin with, and then your kidneys are flushing it. So then your body has to conserve potassium in other ways. And potassium, it luxuriates our blood vessels. It softens them. It promotes the removal of calcifications of blood vessels. And so, you know, the the cruel joke of mother nature is that where do you find the smallest blood vessels in the body? In the penis, in the clitoris, they're the first to get blocked. You know, you've got a big, huge aorta running down the middle of your body to, you know, uh, diffuse blood to the rest of the body, but in the penis and clitoris, they're small. So when you get plaque accumulation, those get blocked first before anything else. And and that's why long before people have any kind of signs of heart disease or, or anything like that, we're talking about, you know, young people, um, they may be getting weaker erections. They may have a harder time achieving orgasm. They may not have as good of lubrication, all those things. So, so that's one. So there's salt for you. Um, you can actually, research has shown that you can actually offset some of the bad effects of salt though, by having more potassium. Gotcha. Interestingly, good, because I think it's kind of that indirect, one of the effects of salt is like right on the blood vessels, you know, directly. One of the effects is because it's of uh, the effects that in that it's sabotaging um, potassium, you know? So you take wow. more potassium, you offset some of those side effects. Um, and then of course, yeah, potassium is just great for sex in its own right and great for the mind. So then you have all the sugar and there's yeah. tons of research on that. Oh my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> all of the refined sugars, they sabotage our, it really disrupts our sex hormones, you know? So it starts off with insulin and, you know, promoting insulin resistance and leptin resistance. Leptin is what tells us when we're full. And that in turn leads to disruptions in our sex hormones, you know, in things like testosterone and estrogen. And there's a whole lot of research showing, I mean, even people who drink like one or two sugary sodas a day mm. have this experience this disruption in sex hormones. So that's going to affect the menstrual cycle. It's going to affect libido. It's going to affect all of those pieces of sexual health. Yeah. So, and then let's see, the other one is fat. Okay. So there's different, uh, you know, different fats of, of course have different um, are different, you know, some of them are worse than others, you know, like if you, um, you know, greasy, like, you know, deep fried foods and stuff that's and then the all the boxed fats those shelf stable fats you know those are probably the worst then you have your things like avocados and you have you know other things so even in the short term so first of all all that extra fat is going to encourage all these blockages in your arteries Um, but then it's also it's stiffen it has a stiffening effect so even in research two hours after a really greasy fatty meal I think it was one of them was like hot dogs and cheese or something like that. I, I can't remember the, the specifics, but 
Two hours after that, they measured arterial function and found that after that meal, um, you actually have less blood flow in your arteries work, I mean, slightly less good, you know? So they're measurably worse. They're measurably stiffer. So you're not getting as much um, blood flow. And that's, you know, when you want, when, if you want to have sex, that's not what you want. So that's, that's why in my book, I have a date night sex menu. It's like all the foods that are good for this. So for example, not all fats were the same. So if you had an omega-3 fatty rich meal, like wild salmon, for example, it actually had the opposite effect on blood vessels. So you can choose which fats are going to be do right by your, your vascular system. Um, but in general, you know, the fatty, greasy, you know, so especially the processed fats are not, I don't know, your friend for sex, you know? No. Yeah. I couldn't imagine going out eating church's chicken, having a whole bucket of KFC <laughs> and be like, I'm ready to jump on it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I think I just lie spread eagle after I eat those foods, just kind of like <laughs> lie there and like, Oh God, this is disgusting. <laughs> well, you know, th there's, that's the thing is there are even short-term changes, not only in blood vessels, but in, um, testosterone. So after a really greasy meal, they've, they see these, don't they have every experiment you can even imagine, right? Imagine, like they yeah. sit there feeding people, they feed people <laughs> these greasy meals and then say, let's test your testosterone. Okay. So two hours after a really greasy meal, testosterone dumps, drops. you know, you get drops. Yeah. Same thing with a really high, anything that spikes your, um, your glucose levels, you know, your blood sugar yeah. is also going to drop testosterone. So basically like a date night sex menu, you're going to avoid all those foods that drop your testosterone and you, then you're going to eat all the foods that, um, improve, you know, blood flow and dilate your blood vessels. There are some foods that actually stiffen blood vessels pretty immediately too, you know, even like your salty meal, 30 yeah. minutes after a salty meal, your blood vessels are stiffer. Jeez. So what would a date night um, sexy time menu kind of look like? <laughs> I, I imagine it's going to be full of uh, spinach, some leafy greens. <laughs> yep, right on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely start. Okay, so I've, I've experimented with this. See, I'm a foodie. Okay, this is like my thing. This book, this is like my my passions in life. I'm a total foodie. I love food. I like to make food look pretty. I like taking pictures of food, all about <laughs> the aesthetic, the flavor. So I've really experimented with this and tested it on myself and my partner. And um, so one of the one of the date night, the versions of date night sex menu um, was wild salmon. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're doing, if, if people do plant-based, it was, uh, all, uh, no, uh, walnuts for the omega-3. So okay. we roasted some squash and then put some aphrodisiac, um, cloves and, and nutmeg on there, and then throw some walnuts on there for the omega-3s. Or again, you have your wild salmon, but for actually the first piece of that though, was we juiced, uh, beets, beet juice. And I have Ooh. a recipe in there for, yeah. so for a really nice drink. It's like a juiced beets. Then you throw in like a little jalapeno, a little bit of a jalapeno pepper, and maybe some ginger. And it's like a spicy beet juice. And it's really good. And so beets are one of those things that are high in nitrates and they're yes. used again as a pre-workout. So of those same pre-workout things are the pre-sex things. So dilate blood vessels. Um, yeah, get that uh, nitric oxide going. And then we had a nice leafy green salad. So your salad is going to have, so let's see. So squash, uh, we roasted some acorn squash with some aphrodisiac nutmeg and, and cloves. And we can talk about that. You know, there's a little bit of research for some of the culinary aphrodisiacs, not much, but a little bit and, um, threw on some walnuts for the omega threes. Um, we had some wild salmon and, uh, let's see. So on the salad, we had a, a salad, which has, lots of potassium, which we talked about. It's got the naturally occurring nitrates and we, and we didn't put any salt on it. We just squeezed some lemon juice on it and had some fresh herbs in there. Gotcha. And we had our, we had our juice, our beet juice, which tastes really good. It's a really nice, um, a nice drink. And then let's see what else, what was after that? Uh, salmon. Oh yeah. Salmon squash. And then for dessert, we had 
a mango raspberry parfait. So Everybody the raspberries, wow. yeah, yeah, we got dessert. <laughs> it's not like a great, it's not like, a, you know, creme brulee where it's going to be fatty, sugary, mm -hmm. greasy. It's more, you know, the the raspberries, for example, are high in what we call poly, polyphenols as a type of anti, yeah. yeah, type of antioxidant, which uh, again, in research in that two hour window post um, eating, you know, improved vascular function, improved arterial function measurably in research. So uh, yeah, that was, that was one version of the, the day night sex menu. Wow. I mean, what I find impressive too about it is that it's not something that let's say would deter people because of taste. It actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, it was good. It was very good. <laughs> you know, and then the effects that come afterwards, would you recommend kind of like maybe after an hour, you know, it's kind of like, all right, well, things are getting hot and heavy and I got all this blood flow. <laughs> I think it's time to. <laughs> well, okay. If we were really going to do it right. Okay. This is what we do. We would have our meal and then even though, okay, most people don't really just work out after you know, mm -hmm. after yeah. eating, but if we're going to do this little scenario, this, that's what we do. We'd have our meal. Then we go work out because all the research that's out there usually measures two hours post eating. So, gotcha. um, whether or not you'd get the same effects one hour post eating, maybe, you know, maybe you would, but mm -hmm. all these ones measured two hours post eating. So we'd have our meal. We would have a glass of wine. Then we'd go out for like a, a jog or a walk or something like well, that. Because yeah. again, the research shows that 20 minutes post exercise, we are most um, receptive to arousal. Uh, so, so it, there, there's something about um, the the way that our um, you know just hormonally that it just makes us more um, receptive. So, so that's what we would do, and you know find maybe foreplay or something, uh, or who knows, find a way to entertain ourselves for for the time between that two hour window but you know it, it goes pretty quickly i would imagine and uh, the thing is too i kind of find that when you go for a long walk you know it could almost serve as foreplay because you guys basically set yourself up for success by having that meal and it's almost like well you know what's coming next <laughs> yeah yeah you build up momentum or you build up anticipation rather yeah exactly Plus the thing is a long walk. I mean, for me, I almost find it meditative now, you know, the older I get. And I just find that going for a long walk, it's probably the nicest way to exercise. Like I love hitting the weights and I love going hard. Like anybody that knows me loves that. I, I still love to bench press heavy weights. Like I still love that. However, you know, me versus the guy that I was in my twenties. Now I kind of started to realize just the enjoyment of walking. Right. And after you have yourself a big meal, there's nothing that really helps me better than, you know, going for a long walk. And if I pair this up with this, you know, this sexy diet uh, plan right before or sexy meal before going, coming back home, with my wife, you know, I think it would really work wonders for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it does a lot of things. I mean, not only are we more receptive to sexual um, stimulation, but also it has a very calming effect. You know, yeah. we all notice that we feel, but after a workout, we just feel calm or after a nice long walk, um, all of those chemical processes in our body, it just helps to relieve stress. So again, setting us up for uh, better sex. A hundred percent. And then you pair it up. I mean, it's like I was talking about before the holistic approach for me makes the most sense. And I kind of wanted to go back to where you opened up with the dude and the acupuncture. So like, let's say you know, he's obviously suffering these blockages, but when you release those blockages using acupuncture and he combines this with the diet, what was his take or his reaction, you know, after the effects of it? Would he continue coming back as well? Like, how did that all look? So it all depends on, on people's baseline. You know, some of my patients come in, we, you know, we treat them and then they're done, you know, they're done for good. So I, for example, yeah. I had a patient who, um, had he had been having really rough sex with his girlfriend and just felt something kind of uh, just a tweak and that uh. ever since then he had been having you know pain with intercourse and his erections hadn't been as strong and you know we treated him over the course of six weeks and that was it he was done you know he was he was better and just went on, on his way um then there are other people you know 
again, it depends. It's like somebody comes in and they're just like, ah, you know, I noticed I haven't had, you know, my erections haven't really been as strong as they used to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that has, that has a, a lot different prognosis than somebody who comes in and says, I haven't had a morning erection in two years, you know, yeah. something like that. So, um, most of my patients, um, so, okay. So for example, one of my patients recently, uh, was dealing with premature ejaculation for, you know, years. And when we started treating him, he stopped having premature ejaculation and it didn't come back. You know, like he, he, he didn't, it didn't return at all. Other patients, you know, I have patients who, if they go two weeks without treatment, they notice that sex isn't as good. So the, the progress that we've made, um, kind of wanes without treatment, if that makes sense. So what we're doing essentially oh, yeah. with acupuncture is, especially the needle that I talked about that goes into the perineum, it's a huge crossing point for nerves that are, you know, in involved in sexual function. So you're stimulating all those sexual pathways, which what that ends up meaning is it means blood flow. It means hormonal changes. It means um, excitement of those sexual pathways. So all of those things are just going to ramp up your, your sexual experience. Wow. I mean, I'm fascinated by the whole acupuncture experience. I've never been the closest thing that I did. I was telling my wife was I did physiotherapy where they did needling. I don't know if you've heard of it where and then yeah. they shock it. I did not yeah. like that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, so physical therapists and doctors can do, they can add on kind of like dry needling or things like that with a, yeah. you know, more limited amount of training and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. No, but definitely some that I got to look into. And the other thing that, um, we barely touched on here, but you have a little bit of a background in traditional Chinese medicine as well, right? Yes, I have an, a master's degree in both um, acupuncture and also it's a dual master's in acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, so herbal medicine. But I, I will admit, honestly, I focused more on um, nutrition than I have anything else just because I'm kind of obsessed with it. So I've kind mm -hmm. of, you know, I, I focus more on that, I would say, than Chinese herbs. Gotcha. Would you say there's any herbs that you could kind of combine or bring into your diet or that you do well, um, as far as setting up a diet plan for someone as well? Yeah, there there are. I mean, there there. I have an herbal formula, for example, recently I got one that has horny goat weed in it. It's a mm. libido formula and it's got horny goat weed and it's got uh, tusutsa, which that's the Chinese word for it. I daughter seeds okay um yeah there's some research on a lot of these things i i in my book i have a whole chapter on um aphrodisiacs whether they're um herbal aphrodisiacs or culinary aphrodisiacs there's not a whole lot of research that that's the problem so most of them i i wanted to include only things that had some research to back up mm -hmm. their efficacy and even those the ones that i found usually it's like two you know, two or three studies that I found, not, not a whole lot. Um, but, but they have, you know, they do have some efficacy. So even th simple things like cloves, nutmeg, cloves were found in one study, for example, um, to, to have an immediate effect one hour after eating cloves, I think it was one hour. It was people had basically better sex and, and stronger. I can look it up, but it's like, it was, stronger libido, I think it was more arousal, stronger libido. And I believe that the reason for that was uh, that it gave a little boost in testosterone. That's what some of the, the culinary aphrodisiacs do is they, they give a little boost in testosterone or others act as an antioxidant, which ends up having more of a longer term effect. So yeah. something like uh, saffron is one of the few culinary aphrodisiacs that actually has a lot more research behind it. Um, showing that basically when both animals and humans um, eat saffron, they have more sex. Um, they have better sex, they have better performance, and they have sex when they're sexually exhausted, you know, things like that. So it's, um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel that we humans would probably benefit from getting a little more saffron on our diets. <laughs> yeah, and it tastes so good too. Saffron's a nice, tasty you know, addition to rice and things like that. As far as the herbal ones go, the problem with some of the herbal ones was that the the safety margin and the effective, you know, the safety um, 
the 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 margin between safe and effective doses was dangerously thin and uh. so and because of the lack of research you know standardizing dosages is different so if you have a harvest of let's say um i don't know um corny goat weed for example you may have one batch that's way more potent than another batch you know yeah. in terms of the active ingredients in it so um so it can be it, it can be difficult i would i wouldn't use any of those without being under the supervision of somebody who's trained in in herbal medicine for example you know some of the most notorious aphrodisiacs like spanish fly okay. you know it is a real thing it actually does work um it's a they're called the blister beetle and they're basically like mashed up blister beetles and they've been used for thousands of years throughout history some dangerously i mean so like we have some i don't know french royalty who you know were using it with all sorts of um, sexual subordinates and things like that we have other writers like famous writers who had these brothels and you know um nearly killed prostitutes giving it to them in preparation for an orgy in one case um the the, the reason it works is because it irritates the the urinogenital system, but it irritates your whole urinary tract. And so you get more blood flow. Okay. And so Spanish fly basically just is a libido heightener more than anything or it's, it's a, it's a, it increases blood flow, okay. but the reason is because your body's dealing with all the inflammation that it causes. Which probably isn't the greatest, I don't think. No, <laughs> <laughs> no definitely not. <laughs> Well, it kind of reminds me of the people or a couple of guys that they they do the whole hanging thing where it's like this will give me a better erection so i hang off the, i'm like oh, that sounds stupid man <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i don't know that 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 does seem pretty dangerous you know i i i don't know i wonder how how much better could it be you know what i mean with hanging that's i don't know but I mean, I'll, I'll never know because I'm never going to try it. For me, it's just kind of that risk reward ratio. That doesn't make any sense in that case. I'm yeah. like, really a better erection, but I might die. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take yeah, my chances. Yeah, with no. Right. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of something we used to do as teenagers, which was like trying to like make ourselves pass out or something by like, yeah. you know, like lean, I don't know, like doing some kind of maneuver. There, there were, like, it was those uh, old, um, back in the day. Cause I remember at my school, when they got rid of the, it was those old hand dryers you remember the ones from back in the day where it's like you pull it out and it was like a long cloth and then yeah. you pull it out and it would just yeah. kind of like roll back up and then yeah. the game was like you hang in it or something for an extended period of time and whoever hung there the, the most won oh. I think some kid some kid killed himself yeah. and that's when they kind of made the switch to paper towel <laughs> oh wow that's interesting with us it was like doing a bunch of squat thrusts and then like choking ourselves <laughs> to make ourselves pass out <laughs> it's like i don't know why yeah. <laughs> and i mean if i showed one of those to my sons they'd probably be like what is that i'm like that's where we used to dry our hands and play all kinds of stupid games <laughs> yeah. i mean the benefits or the reasons why i'm like whoever designed that thing first of all that was a horrible design buddy <laughs> Well, I don't know. I kind of feel like too, okay, if you get your body in top physical condition, and let's say you have the strongest nerve conduction, you have the strongest pleasure signaling. Um, I feel like sometimes we, we get desensitized to so many things and plus mm -hmm. maybe our body's not working in our favor. So it's like, you have to go more and more and extreme. more extreme. Yeah. But then of course, then there, there comes in the whole aspect of the effect of media and porn and stuff on our sexuality as well which yeah. has that same kind of effect too <laughs> so a hundred percent well that's one thing that I've, I've had other guests on the show to talk about porn addiction and how that's kind of misconstrued everything because the thing is like i talk about male enhancement that's kind of you know like my thing and i discovered that it does work there's ways to go around it however it's the same as the gym like you can't just take pills and it's going to magically work. The other thing, too, that always comes into play is that everybody's watching porn since they're like eight years old. And they all think that everybody's walking around with a monster dong between his pants. I'm like, it's not the case. If you actually look at what the science tells us and if you pop open some journals, you'll see that, hey, the average guy is like between five, five to seven inches. Yeah. And everybody's out here like watching porn. Like, yeah, but they're all like 12 inches long. You know, I'm I'm never going to be enough and I'm doing everything right. And. It, it honestly it comes into play with 
I, I think the best way to go about or talk about it is like our sexual, I guess, behavior preferences and just basically influencing everything as far as sexuality goes. But it's probably the worst way to actually look at sex because it's all just fantasy land. And yeah, it's not real life. And it's just, yeah, I saw this one documentary and it was this woman was complaining because her husband had to like look at his phone and look at porn while they were having sex in order to be aroused you know and I'm just like wow that must feel really bad for her you know I mean (laughs) yeah and I mean I wrote an article about this too I feel like media and just how much media we're exposed to in general is making for bad sex in general because it's this constant exposure to a very small segment of the population, which isn't representative. And it's like, you know, it just caught, generates so many insecurities in us. It's like, we feel like, okay, we're not good looking enough. We're not smart enough. We're not successful enough. We don't have enough money, enough status, a big enough boobs, big enough dick, you know, big enough ass. Um, you know, it's just this message that if you don't look basically, essentially, and this is what I wrote, if you don't look like the person on the screen, nobody's going to want to fuck you. You know, and it's like, and then you're in the bedroom and you're, you know, for women, we're like trying to prop our tits up to, you know, so that they don't look like, you know, National Geographic, you know, the (laughs) the tribe. We're like, we, in, in like, you know, I have patients telling me that they're going to get this surgical procedure to make their dick longer. And I'm just like, and I'm, and I'm just for on so many levels, I'm just like, you're going to lose sensitivity. Yep. Okay. Your partner's not going to care. First of all, women don't care if you're longer because it's, I mean, that, that doesn't add much pleasure. Number three, it's like, you can just learn how to eat pussy and you'll be way better off than any of those other scenarios, you know, and really your partner, your partner, like most of most people, are looking to connect with somebody. They're looking for a connection. They're not as concerned about what your hair color is or what, you know, even how, you know, how tall you are or how big your dick is, or, you know, it's like, yeah, you might think big tits look nice, but it's like, it's, you know, you're going to date somebody with small tits, you know, it's just, if you have a connection with somebody, you have a connection with somebody, you know? The thing is, it's just a bonus. At the end of the day, it's almost like, you know, and it's more about the connection that you have. And you're completely right about that. It's like, can we actually have a conversation for more than half an hour? Because I've talked to any guy out there. He's probably been like, I've dated probably the hottest chick I've ever met. You know, big tits, big ass, all this, that. And she was all that, all that in a bag of chips. And she had absolutely nothing between her ears. I was like, there was no connection. There was nothing there. And it's kind of like, yeah, sure. She's hot and all, but it's almost like, you know what? I would trade that all to have a real woman, you know, who maybe isn't perfect, picture perfect, you know, can't be on the silver screen you know, tits out and just, you know, the the perfect porn star, but it's like, no, I actually want to connect with that person. And I think having good sex actually comes from that. It doesn't come from our physical appearances because it's, we've been told that and you see in the magazines and you see it everywhere. And it's like, oh, you got to have this perfect body. Like you see in the hot, like, no, like all that is all it's, it's all a charade in my opinion, because the way I kind of see it, it's like, hey, I'm not perfect. Neither is my wife. And we've never been happier, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and I mean, to probably TMI, but, you know, I've been with guys who are like huge dick, right? Okay, huge dick. And they're like, yeah, that's, this is what I'm bringing to this experience, you know? And it's like, that's not enough. You know, it's not, that's the, be having a big dick doesn't make for a great sexual experience, which kindness makes for a much better sexual experience. You know, you have, there's this lack of kindness and there's a lack of kindness in our society period. You know, we are, we are more self-centered. We are more um, individualistic. We are, we, we're a selfie culture. You know, we think about ourselves a lot and, you know, just being more kind in the bedroom, kind to our partners can make a much bigger difference than, you know, any of these other superficial things. Yeah. And as far as having great sex, I honestly feel like, you know what, those things, they're all a bonus. But if you don't love the person at the end of the day, it's almost like, meh. You know, and that's kind of what I've found too. It's that you can go around and you can meet all, it's like, is it really worth it at the end? And I think it just kind of comes down to that connection. But a lot of the times, and I'm seeing it more and more. And the thing that's kind of disturbing is I'm talking to kids that are like 
I talked to, you know, young dudes who are like early 20s and they're like, I'm addicted to porn. And I'm, I'm like, dude, you haven't even had sex yet, but you're addicted to porn and it's rewiring their brains. And that's the thing yeah. too that I was looking at, like neuroplasticity and how the brain fires up and how they're basically rewiring their brains to get off on a bunch of pixels. And I'm like, this is, it is kind of scary to me because it's sabotaging happiness it is and it's like how do we get people off of the screens like and i i understand that you know it's it's a part of our culture it's a part of where we're going and it's wonderful because you and i can connect you know we can talk we can have this podcast but at the same time it's like okay we got to have a balance too because i'm seeing kids that are spending more time on their tv screens and they think this is real life now yeah, and they don't want to go outside and play. They don't want to hang out with people. They don't have social skills. Do you yeah. know what? Um, there was this, I, I read something. Uh, it was actually on Instagram, but it was some new study that was talking about how people graduating from high school, I guess, eh, you know, 20 years ago, a certain percentage of them had had sex. I think it was like 60% and now it's 40% or there was some big discrepancy. Wow. And, you know, some people were cheerleading this like, oh, yay, this is great. You know, less people are, you know, so less teenage pregnancy, all this other stuff. But the underlying problem is that people don't have game. They don't have the ability to have a conversation, to court somebody, to, you know, get to the point where they would have sex because they're not interacting socially. And you're seeing, because that's when, when going back to porn and that whole addiction and just kind of seeing where guys are so, I guess, insulated, you know, it, it's almost like it's just them and their screen that they don't really know what it's like to be rejected. And I think, honestly, man, I learned more from rejection than I did from success. And I kind of, I would tell my friends that, you know, you go out, you get rejected by a couple of girls, hey, it's all good, you know, and you come back again and, you know, spit your game in a different way. <laughs> yeah, right. And you find a way that works, but it's almost like it was part of that society, I guess, where it's kind of like you had to go be social. Now I'll talk to dudes at work and, and, and they literally tell me like, I just got to swipe right. If I swipe right enough times, I will make a match and then I'll just show up at her house and we'll bang and that's it. And I'm like, Wow. wow. <laughs> wow it's just totally different but it's totally different yeah it's totally it's a totally different yeah scene I remember days you know when I was the teenager and it's like you actually had to have a conversation on the phone with somebody you know yeah. if you liked somebody it's <laughs> like you know you had to somehow both be at your house at the same time and get the call you know and yeah that was how that was how it worked um, now people don't call each other. They they say it's weird, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just text. No, and I'm uh, and that, I'm the complete opposite of that because. I was all like, I'd be at the landline, you know, just be like, oh, yeah, you know, I can't use my anytime minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is that um, the food we eat also rewires our brains. So, for example, um, the, the more sugary, fatty foods we eat, the more is required before our brains produce dopamine. So, sorry, to break that down, what that means is this. Okay, food is meant to be pleasurable. Okay. It makes us feel good. There's this, there's dopamine that's released. Dopamine's the pleasure chemical. It's the same chemical involved is the same hormone involved in orgasm and sexual pleasure, all of those things. It's the pleasure neurohormone. Every time we eat, we release dopamine. However, if you eat a lot of sugary, fatty foods in your diet, mm -hmm. you will need more of those before your body wow. releases that pleasure chemical. But the good news is, according to research, that if you take a couple weeks and go off of those foods, your body resets. So it'll start to get pleasure from less fatty, sugary foods, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Because I mean, for myself, one thing I had to, I've experienced, or I guess that I partake in is I used to do a bulk and then a cut, right? So when it was winter, I'd bulk, which basically meant that I would just eat whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then come yeah. summertime, <laughs> come summertime, I would basically cut. And whenever I would cut, it was usually, even right now, like I'm on the same diet, right? And it's very basic. It's usually spinach, just because it's very easy to prepare. I just grab it, wash it, chuck it in, you know, perfect chicken breast salmon you know what's the other go-to steaks it's very kind of mundane food and like white rice like that would 
pretty much, you know, the bodybuilding kind of cut. And the one thing I would notice is like after two weeks, let's say I'm like, you know what, I'm going to have a cheat day. I'll have some sugar or I'll have a, a mango. And just having a mango was like the most incredibly delicious food that, you know, I was like, oh, wow, this is just mind blowing. And to your point, when I was bulking and I'll be eating this food like recklessly every single day, I, I, it wasn't just mangoes. It was like pizza, ice cream, whatever. It's almost like now my palate's changed to the point where it's like, I need something better. You know, mm-hmm. like I need something more yeah. extreme. I need zesty Doritos. Uh, yeah, need- <laughs> right. Right. I know. And it's got, I don't know. I I don't like that, that citric acid type tartness, you know, myself. Yeah. Um, but I, I think when we get used to it, it's like then our bodies crave that sort of thing. Oh, All the processed food trains our palate, you know? It totally does, but it's one of those things. Society's kind of just, man, we're going for more extremes, which is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and everything. That's so true. With that being said, Christine, we're closing up here on the hour. Tell us where can we find you and um, website, all that good stuff. Sure. So you can find my book, Diet for Great Sex, on Amazon. I have a blog, uh, dietforgreatsex.com. I have recipe videos and that sort of thing on Instagram at Diet for Great Sex, and also a few few videos on TikTok at Diet for Great Sex. Gotcha. All right, and I've added all all these links to the description below, guys. So be sure to check out Christine and make sure to get her book. I mean, learned a whole lot. I know that I got a lot more to learn now. <laughs> oh, but it was a pleasure having you on today, Christine, and for all you Thank guys you. that were here. Thank you again. We'll see you next time.